I met up with a friend recently who was feeling somewhat stressed, tired, and despondent. I'm three days behind on my life, she told me. What does that mean? I asked her. I need three more days, she said. Three clear days to catch up with myself. But the problem is, I can't find those three days. I know that feeling, I told her. No, 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 you don't understand. She said, at the start of the year, I was already three days behind on my life. <laughs> Now, fast forward 10 months, I'm still three days behind on my life. I've had 287 days to find these three days, and I haven't been able to. I really know that feeling, I told her. No, 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 she said, you really don't understand. I've always been three days behind in my life. It's not just this year, it was last year and the year before that, and all through my 40s, and all through my 30s. And as I was listening to my friend, I had this epiphany, like a whopping epiphany, like a proper bona fide epiphany, one of those epiphanies that I don't normally have. And this is what I said to her. Maybe you were born three days too late. <laughs>
translated to more peace, which is very, very interesting. At least that's what I got from it. The title of his talk was The Tea Meditation. Yeah, he's that kind of guy. I don't know him personally, but I like him. And I mean that. I like, really like him. Uh, let me back it up just a bit. A few months ago, now I'm going to get personal. I don't know if it's necessary, but if I, if I give you a personal story, it kind of builds the, uh, the basis for why I did the podcast and the catalyst for the topic and why I did the research that I did and, and how I found what I found. But a few months ago, I'm sitting in the unnecessarily large game room of my father-in-law's house. And many know, but those who don't, it's not like a shuffleboard, pool table, nostalgic-esque pinball machine game room. This is a trophy game room where the heads of the most beautiful animals on the earth uh, are dead and they adorn the 22 or 24 foot walls. Uh, I could describe that room further, but uh, that's for a different podcast. We'll save that one. But anyways, like anyone who sits on the couch at the in-laws house in a lovely room of death, I was staring into my phone, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, whatever else. Um, and that's when I came across Dr. Holden, specifically a YouTube video entitled Destination Addiction, which by the way, you heard a snippet of uh, at the intro. As it turns out, Dr. Holden is the one who coined the term destination addiction years ago, and in this particular video elaborates on what exactly that is. So we're waiting just a little bit to see if there might be a better now that might come along. With destination addiction, we turn now into a stepping stone to get to somewhere else. Every now becomes a passing moment, and if we're not careful, you know, our life's going to pass us by. With destination addiction, we're always running on empty. We're always in sacrifice. We're always really trading in here for there, this for that. Now, for what's next. And we are absolutely focused in on that next to the point where, that even when we go on a holiday, we're thinking about the next holiday. Everything's about what's coming next. In our career path, it's about the next promotion, or it's the next job, or it's about the next milestone, the next achievement, the next book, the next album, whatever it is. It's always something next, the next zip code, perhaps. And we're so focused on this next that all the while, as I say, our life is passing us by. I was intrigued, to say the least, and uh, further research led me to find an article that digs deeper into this idea of destination addiction, and I want to read it to you. It says, quote, they are addicted to the idea that the future is where success is, happiness is, and heaven is. Each passing moment is merely a ticket to get to the future. They live in the not now, they are psychologically absent, and they disregard everything they have. Destination addiction is a preoccupation with the idea that happiness is somewhere else. They suffer literally from the pursuit of happiness, end quote. Now, I'm not sure if it was the charming and intellectual presentation style of Dr. Holden that caused his message to be so meaningful to me, 
Um, but I can only hope that it resonates with any of you out there to at least some degree to the extent it did with me. Because when I heard it, sitting at the epicenter of death, I, uh, well, I, lo- I lost it. I was very much fighting back tears. Now, no, okay, I was crying. I really was. I was a 41-year-old crier. That's fine. Uh, and it's because Dr. Holden was describing me, and maybe even you to a degree. With this simple, cohesive lecture about this idea of destination addiction, I was, I guess, ripped to pieces. It was kind of interesting. He was revealing a profound problem within me. Perhaps the uh, single most destructive part of who I was, actually. Um, Perpetually discontent? Absolutely. Arduously working toward a hope for a happiness? Check. A constant search for a different, more, quote, rewarding opportunity? Check. And a sudden realization that I've wasted years of my life with worry, anxiety, and dissatisfaction? Well, after watching that video, that's a big old fat checkeroo. And what's ridiculous is, at the time, I had no reason to be unhappy. I was healthy, still am. Good friends, good job, paid well. I had dude toys, you know you know the dude toys. Uh, wonderful kids, a beautiful wife that is consistently and sincerely intimate with me, if you know what I'm talking about, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, maybe that was a little too informal. I get a little antsy in my pantsy talk about it. You know what I'm saying? Um, now, at the time, let's bring it back. So my father-in-law, when I'm watching that video, my father-in-law, Tommy, is on the other couch just literally 10 or 12 feet away from me. And I'm sitting here trying to hold back tears. If he had not have been there, I probably would have been like, oh. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there trying to hold it together. Of course, he didn't care. He didn't even look at me. He never changes his facial expression no matter what. He's that kind of guy. I love him. But uh, he was, Dr. Holden was describing with disturbing accuracy my state of mind at the time. Um, I didn't know why I was so unhappy. I, You know, for years I think that, in many ways, I had let the world's idea of happiness kind of saturate into me because I hadn't always been like that, but that's for another time. But anyways, my wife, who had suffered the pains of my childish mindset and discontent, had been saying for years that I was unjustifiably unhappy, and and it's interesting how blind her I was to her wisdom and my condition, but that's okay. I'm almost embarrassed to say that it took me 41 years to figure this all out. It's all Kronos and not... Kairos, there's no eternal moment for us to enjoy, and we're running out of time. It's also non-stop. It's also repetitive and compulsive. And yet we must stop. Why? Because if we don't stop, we're never going to get there. If we don't stop, we're never going to get there. Did I mention I really like this guy? So after I learned about destination addiction and Robert Holden, I became obsessed with not being obsessed. I changed the background on my phone so that every time I looked at it, I saw the words, happiness is a choice we make. I listened to that presentation literally every day for weeks afterwards, sometimes multiple times a day. I even, this is going to sound ridiculous, but I even considered getting some sort of destination addiction reminder tattooed on my forearm so I couldn't get away from it, you know. 
But uh, I just wanted to know more. I wanted more assurance, uh, and I, I just wanted more. And there's, I guess there's irony in that. But, but a month or so after I had my first little dance with Dr. Holden's Destination Addiction, I found another guy that I want to introduce to you. His name is Dr. Tim Mackey. Now, Dr. Mackey is relatively young, slender, clean-cut. He looks like the kid who got picked last in middle school dodgeball. If you saw him in the street, you'd probably think he's either an underpaid accountant or the CEO of a multi-million dollar company, but, uh, but he's not uh, an accountant or the CEO of a multi-million dollar company. What he's accomplished, in my opinion, is far more impressive than either. Dr. Mackey is a very accomplished theologian. He claims to have discovered Jesus through something called Skate Church, which is a nonprofit Christian ministry that has been reaching out to skateboarders in the Portland, greater Portland area for decades. They even, they actually have their own 6,400 square foot skate park I looked, uh, I found. It's called The Warehouse. That's pretty rad, but uh, I think that COVID situation is actually shutting them down, unfortunately. But Dr. Mackey has an incredible understanding of the Christian faith, the Bible, and just about anything to do with Jesus. And when I say incredible understanding, I mean like crazy understanding. He's also a pro at debunking myths of the Christian faith as well. Uh, Hey, did you know that nowhere in the Bible are angels or demons depicted with wings? Yeah, I don't know. Or that the word... Uh, Satan, or as he says, Satan, is not a character in their Bible. Rather, it's a title uh, that means adversary or opponent. Yeah, I didn't know that either. That's just a little tidbit of what he throws at us. But uh, anyways, Dr. Mackey is also the voice behind an effort called The Bible Project. Now, what that is, it's a nonprofit animation studio that produces short-form, fully animated videos summarizing books of the Bible, messages within the Bible, what the Bible is, how it came about, just all, all these various aspects. But uh, do, do you remember the Ricky Gervais show, that American-British comedy cartoon series where they animated versions of a British podcast? Well, it's like that, but this Bible project is solely based on the Bible and other aspects of Christianity. Anyways, so I watched the one, it's only about 15 minutes long, that summarizes the book of Ecclesiastes. And again, just like with Dr. Holden, I was hit with another white-knuckled epiphany. The book of Ecclesiastes is one of 24 books or scrolls, if you want to think of it that way, of the Tanakh, which is the Hebrew Bible, which is the textual source for the Christian Old Testament. Now, Ecclesiastes was was originally written around 300 BC, give or take 100 years or so. It's one of the few Old Testament books that are called the wisdom books, or one of the wisdom books. But it differs from the other wisdom books in that it kind of downplays wisdom itself to a degree, and a few other things. Let me let me throw at you just a bit of what you would find if you opened up Ecclesiastes and read from the, the what we're going to call, uh, or what is the New International Version or the NIV. If you look at chapter 8, verse 14, it says, quote, There is something else meaningless that occurs on earth, 
the righteous who get what the wicked deserve, and the wicked who get what the righteous deserve. This too, I say, is meaningless, end quote. If we look at uh, chapter 2, verse 17, check this out. So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. And one more here. So if you do chapter 11, verse 8, it says, However many years anyone may live, let them enjoy them all. But let them remember the days of darkness, for there will be many. Everything to come is meaningless. So, Ecclesiastes, those are just three verses, but it talks about many pains and sufferings throughout the book. It talks about how fools will get promoted when a wise person won't. Uh, and then how some wise men are actually fools, how saving money uh, or how saved money is actually a curse or can be a curse. I could go on. Um, according to the teacher of Ecclesiastes, again in the NIV, wisdom, pleasure, work, advancement, wealth, and literally everything is meaningless. And many other versions use the word useless in place of meaningless. It's, dude, that's like a bummer of a book, man. But there's more to the story. Uh, have you seen the movie Knives Out? You can't you can't answer me right now, but if you've seen the movie Knives Out, there's a donut hole inside the donut hole. But we must look a little closer. And when we do, we see the donut hole has a hole in its center. It is not a donut hole, but a smaller donut with its own hole. And our donut is not a hole at all. I don't know why that's so funny to me, but it is. But anyways, so you heard me say the word meaningless earlier when I read those three scriptures. But the original Hebrew word used was not meaningless. It was hevel, H-E-V-E-L. And this is all information thrown at me by Dr. Mackey. Hevel is the Hebrew word for vapor or smoke. Interestingly, this is the word that was used 38 times in the book of Ecclesiastes when it was written long ago. But most English Bibles translate the word hevel to meaningless, as in, you know, as in the NIV, or useless in some of them. Now, for those who don't know any better, this may seem insignificant, but that could not be further from the truth. The difference, in my humble opinion, is paramount considering the context. Let, let me kind of go off on a tangent to explain this. So, Meaningless is defined as without purpose or significance. Not a minimal purpose or significance, but without, like no purpose or significance. Smoke and vapor have a purpose. Did you know that smoke signals are the oldest form of visual communication? The Greek historian Polybius devised a system of smoke signals to represent the entire Greek alphabet. And vapor, dude, if, if you know anything about physics, distillation, etc., Seriously, humans would not exist without vapors. The entire cosmos would not exist in its current form without vapor. So obviously there's something to that. Smoke and vapor are not meaningless or useless. But what I want to point is, is this distinction is very important. Because characteristically, vapor is temporary, or as Dr. Mackey puts it, it is fleeting. And he goes on to say that it's also an enigma. Uh, a paradox. You, you can't hold on to it. You can't contain it. You can't grasp it. You can't maintain it. And trying to do so is a waste of time and effort. Now, 
if we revisit those scriptures, check, check this out. I'm going to reread those scriptures, and I hope this isn't blasphemy, but I'm going to fill in the dots here. Check this out. There is something else meaningless that occurs on earth. The righteous who get what the wicked deserve and the wicked who get what the righteous deserve. This too, I say, will pass. Chapter 2, verse 17. So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is something that cannot be held on to, a chasing after the wind. Chapter 11, verse 8. However many years anyone may live, let them enjoy them all, but let them remember the days of darkness, for there will be many. Everything to come is temporary. Now, surely you guys out there listening, you can see all this coming together, but I don't want you to rush it. Just kind of hold your horses. Chill out for a second. I want to loop Dr. Holden back into this because I want to address failures. Everyone is going to fail at something. You, you have failed at something, multiple things, just just as I have. Are we supposed to stay happy like Dr. Holden suggests or banish anxiety like Ecclesiastes tells us to do when we fail? How can failure not rob us of our joy? What, What kind of aspirations or standards do we have for ourselves? if we are not disappointed by setbacks. And I want Dr. Mackey to take this one. And what what the teacher is going to say is actually this is not an either or. See, we see failures in life and disappointments as obstacles in my way to a life of joy and fulfillment. And he's just going to turn that right on its head. Because he's going to say actually, actually it's life's failures and disappointments that are the key to embracing a life of true joy. Now, he addresses that on two fronts, but the first one, he uses an analogy of this high school skateboarder who makes this uh, attempt to impress his friends and some girls by trying to jump over some grass on a skateboard, and this, this high school kid, he just completely fails, bombs it, scrapes his shoulder all over the road and just, and just embarrasses himself. Like we, we have these ideas about how life ought to go, and we certainly have ideas about how my life ought to go and the path and the course that my life is, is going to take. And then things, things happen in life that you simply cannot control, right? So whether, whether it's something serious like a tragedy or something more silly, like you fall on your skateboard, or, right, there's a whole spectrum in between of things that happen to us. I had this plan, you know, I had this career, I'm in this relationship, here we go, and then we have these epic fail moments in our lives. And we view those as obstacles to joy in life. And the teacher says, no, no, actually, that moment in that kid's life could be the best thing that ever happened to him. It could be, because it it could do two things. It could strip him of the illusion that he's actually in control of his life (laughs) and that he can actually make things happen the way that he wants them to. And the sooner we are stripped of that illusion, in the teacher's opinion, the better, the better. Because the more we're trying to hold on and control the outcomes of the events in our lives, the more we're going to be so myopically focused on the control of making things go a certain way that we're actually blind to the everyday moments of joy that present them to, to us, present themselves to us. So we need to be stripped of that illusion. We also need to be stripped of the illusion that if I could control my life to go the way that I, I want it to and, and get the outcomes that I actually 
want to achieve that then I'd finally like take a break, I'd rest, I'd have satisfaction and fulfillment and joy in life. Did you hear that? We need to be stripped of the illusion that if we could control our lives and get everything we wanted, then we would finally like take a break, rest, have satisfaction, fulfillment, and joy. And do you know why we need to get stripped of that illusion that if we could have it our way, we'd be happy? Because like Dr. Robert Holden says, we never stop wanting. We always want more. That's the key. So look, let me, let me wrap this up here. Although the term destination addiction was coined just recently by Dr. Holden, the concept has been addressed and advised on in an ancient Hebrew text or ancient scroll for over 2,000 years. That, that's mind-boggling. Bloggling? That's mind-boggling to me. So I want you to listen very closely. If a person is generally happy, they're going to be happy. If a person is perpetually discontent, they will be discontent. If a person who is perpetually discontent wants to be happy, it is a shift in perspective that is required, not a shift in circumstance. And that change in perspective, it's going to have to be the recognition and respect for the heaviness of every experience here on earth. It, everything is fleeting. It will pass. It will be gone in an instant. It's the recognition that our life on earth will be gone very, very soon and that joy is a choice. Now, I know that if you're listening to this, there's a good chance you are struggling. But do not let whatever you're going through or, listen, specifically, don't let your perception of whatever this problem is keep you from being not just content but happy. And if you want a few more embedded donut holes, I would sincerely encourage you to go read the entire book of Ecclesiastes. Just consider the hevel while doing so. Thanks.